We need to cultivate in people these dispositions that help them to achieve success and flourishing in their own lives. And this is not a complicated thing, but for whatever reason, it seems to be a controversial thing, which is completely insane. Peter, where are we at in the world right now? What's the state of play in the world? <laughs> the state of play isn't particularly good. I, don't, I, I, I do think that people like a kind of optimism, but that optimism should be seated in reality. Mm. Uh, so it would be... Welcome to London. Yeah, welcome to London. <laughs> yeah. yeah. What's the state of play? The sirens go by. Um, no, but I, I do think we have serious problems that we're not talking about, we're not facing these things honestly, and we're obsessed with identity politics, we're obsessed with trans issues, we're obsessed with, and this is a fraction of a fraction of, we're not talking about inflation, drug addiction, homelessness, a crime, the murder rate in the United States, there's a, a, a vast potential nuclear war with Russia over Ukraine. It's a lot of stuff we should be Death talking ceiling about. ceiling just busted through. Yeah, and, yeah. and uh, one, third of the, one third of the taxes collected in the United States go to pay the interest on the debt. That's such a shocker to me. One third, one. that's completely unsustainable. It's like me giving you a bucket with a hole in it and you're just trying to Correct. keep it full of water. And every time they talk about a debt ceiling, I mean, that's the thing, so you want to talk about a real problem. If the dollar does, is, is no longer the world currency reserve, then all of the profligate excesses of everybody printing money like it's going out of style, there will be mass inflation. Africa just left, you know, just as another quick example. So I'm, I try not to be too negative. It's all good. I'm trying Re not to, reality. All right, I'm trying yeah. not to be too negative. But if, uh, if um, you know, oil is no longer traded in dollars, that's also going to be a huge problem. Mm. So why are we so hell-bent on talking about gender, identity, etc. What is a man? What is a woman? Should they play in these sports? And not these real world issues. That's an incredibly good question. That's a remarkably good question. Um, I don't know the answer to that, but I can speculate. I don't know if anybody knows. I think it's social media. I think that, that uh, people who are trained in the academy and the institutions or academic institutions are force-fed this stuff constantly and they're fed the fact that it's true, they're fed critical race theory, they're, they're taught to see division in people, they're, they're taught to see race, for example, racial divisions in people, they're taught that the systems are inherently corrupt and they're, um, and, and they're somehow uh, creating victims and then they're the victims, so instead of working hard, accomplishing, achieving, they're told that there's more currency in victim status, victim culture, which is what we have now. Uh, I, and I also think that that's expedited, the ideology has been expedited through social media. You get, you know, currency and points for your friends. It's not particularly interesting to talk about inflation. I mean, I find it interesting, mm. um, but yeah, it's, it's not particularly interesting, but it's really interesting to talk about whether or not, like in the videos that we put out, the trans videos always go, you know, right. million views, hundreds of thousands of views over something that's so idiotic. Do you think there's propaganda at play here? Um, what do you mean? As in, there's an ulterior motive for whoever controls the world and the media to proliferate out these distractions. Because isn't it timely how things land in the media when something bigger and more damaging is going on behind the scenes, but a story gets fed to almost suppress this? 
we had this in lockdown with COVID yeah. and things like this. I mean, all sorts of really bad decisions were made and there were investigations right. and everything and they all just went under the radar with some Philip Schofield distraction story yeah, over yeah. here. And the, the timing just seems so perfect. No, I, I don't think so. Oh, you don't think it's no, that? No, I don't think so. And the reason I don't think so is that the, because the people who are doing this are not propagandizing. I mean, they're, they're lying to be sure, but they're not trying to distract you from any other issue. I mean, we know exactly where this comes from. It comes from university departments with things ending in studies. We know these people have manufactured their own literature. We know these people have uh, complete wholesale woke capture of institute, I, of colleges of education where, they, where teachers go to teacher training so they teach your kids. We know they're in anything with studies in it. We know they're not, not only are they not trying to hide it, they're screaming about it from the rooftops. So I guess if, if you say this is propaganda, um, there is a kind of element to it in which they change the meanings of words and they sneak those into public policy documents, inclusion, diversity, equity, etc. But I don't, I don't think that there, there's propaganda to distract you from some, I don't think these people give a flying hoot about inflation, drug addiction, homelessness. Why not? Aren't these the things that are going to develop society and make the world a better place? Because the left, at least in the United States, and I think it's here as well, has bartered traditional economic concerns for things that have identity level salience, identity characteristics. You're cis, as they say, the fact that you're, you're born in the right body, the whole, that whole thing is made up, by the way. Um, <clears throat> a term they use is gender assigned at birth, which is totally ridiculous. Um, you're uh, being white, you're being male, I assume you're heterosexual, I have no idea what your sexual orientation is, I don't really care anyway. But the idea is that, that when you start looking at reality and teaching people in colleges and universities to develop, the, this educator call it, critical consciousness, to be, so think about, think about how crazy this is. We are training people to believe it's not whether or not racism occurred, it's how it occurred. So racism is the default. That's from this Robin D'Angelo, ultra mega best-selling author. When you train enough people to do that, you will have division in society. It's not how you have aggrieved me today. Let me give you, let me give you a quick, quick example. This is Helen Pluckrose's example. She's from London. She wrote the book Cynical Theories. Um, best, one of the best-selling books of all time in, the, in gender studies. You're a shopkeeper. A black person and a white person come into the shop at the same time. If you, so remember, we already know it's not if racism occurred, it's how it occurred. Because racism is the default state. This is what we're teaching people. If you go to the white guy first, that's because you get, you have white, he has white privilege and so you serve him, he's white, he gets the best. If you go to the black guy first, it's because you wanna get him out of the store because you're concerned he's gonna steal something. So no matter who you go to, we're teaching kids that racism is the ordinary everyday state of affairs and we're, they have to develop a consciousness to root it out. I mean, it's completely deranged. It confuses me, why? Because you're sane. Ah, okay. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it confuses me why we would teach this stuff at college and university, but not money management, economics, kindness, managing your emotions, building good relationships with other humans, 
making positive change in the world? Why are we teaching all the wrong shit? Uh, that another great question. I can tell why your YouTube channel is popular because you ask questions that everybody should be asking. Um, because certain departments have changed university policies, and again, you really need to look at this whole problem in society, woke ideology, from the position of the universities. It's coming from the universities, and once they've, for example, said we need diversity initiatives then they hire and promote people who also believe we need diversity initiatives. But nobody hires on the basis of whether or not you can balance a spreadsheet. Nobody hires or promotes on the basis of whether or not you know what a laugh curve is, right? You, you, you hire or promote based upon someone's identity characteristics. And then people like people who are like themselves, so they have other people who have a similar ideology who get in, and then the next thing, it's a total, it's a societal train wreck. And so one, the other thing that that's caused is that that's caused us to prioritize the wrong things. Like money management would be a fantastic skill for kids in K through 12 to learn how to balance a checkbook. Yeah, yeah, I have a talk tomorrow at a school on financial education. I'm really looking forward to it because I know damn well they haven't been taught this kind of stuff in school. Right. You know what you said about the Laffer curve. I mean, everyone should know what that is because you should be aware of what taxes you're paying. And you know, I, I'm an entrepreneur, I speak to so many entrepreneurs and we've gone way beyond the optimum on the Laffer curve right. that everyone I talk to in business, mm, what country are you going to move to? They want to leave. They're all looking for the best country in the world that's better than the UK because our taxes are nearly as high as they were in the late 70s, early 80s. So I'm going to push back on some, something there. Um, I personally don't mind paying, so I, I was up until very recently I was living in Portland, Oregon. That place is a cesspool. It's a corrupt, decadent, boy, it is a violent hellhole. And I guess I don't, you won't be going back then. <laughs> no, no, I'm not going to go. I mean, I, I, unfortunately, I still have a house there, but, because uh, my daughter's still in school, but, like, you know, we talked very briefly off camera. One of the things that I like about being here is, I love the public transportation here. I find it like unbelievable. It's unbelievable. It's so relaxing and, and decreases my anxiety to sit on the tube. Nobody's taking a shit on the floor. <laughs> nobody's shooting anybody. Nobody's like waving, you know, armaments. You know, it, people sit like civilized people. They get off, stop. It, it's a wonderful experience. Like I just, it's just, it's, I find it to be a cleansing experience. So if tax money goes for that, and I'll throw, I don't Big know. Big caveat, by the way. Yeah, I don't know yeah. if this is true, but I'm gonna throw something out too. Because this is something I've been thinking about, and so maybe you can help me think through it. So, when I was in New York, I saw people constantly jump over the turnstiles. I have not seen a single person jump over the turnstiles. I told my friend Andrew Doyle, no, he, Lucius, I said, I haven't been here for three weeks. No one's jumped over the turnstile. He said, I've been here my whole life. I've never seen anybody jump over the turnstile. In New York City, people, the police are right there. People are jumping over the turnstiles. People here treat the commons well. And I don't know if that's cultural. I don't know if it's because you pay higher taxes that people think that they've kind of bought into, they have more of an ownership. But I do know one thing, that nothing causes resentment more, excuse me, than... Well, that's the whole taxation without representation part. Mm. If people think they're paying taxes, and like in Portland, and this, the whole system is shut down. 
you know, the prosecutors aren't doing their jobs, you can't find police, the homelessness is everywhere, yeah. there's an epidemic of drug addiction, and they keep raising taxes, and then the social problems get worse. But I don't, again, I've just been here for three weeks, but I don't see that here. And I'm wondering if that's because you pay higher taxes. I think it is here. It might not be as bad as it is in Portland, but it is here. Definitely quality of life has got worse. Obviously inflation is really high. Tax keeps going up and up and up. We were talking before off camera that one third of your tax goes to interest on debt, not Correct. debt repayment, Correct. interest on debt. Um, and, and so one third of the hundreds of thousands of pounds of tax bill I just got is going on repaying the government debt that they didn't let me vote on. They didn't ask me if I wanted to be locked down or not, or if I supported their COVID 500 billion spending or not. They just borrowed a load of money, printed a load of money, chucked it all in, and then they have to put the taxes up. And then the inflation, sorry, the interest rates are, are right. being forced up right now. So it's got to be fair, and this is what the Laffer Curve was designed for. Yeah. Too low, not fair on the government, can't generate any revenue. Too high, everyone leaves. And, and there's that optimum. And I think it's a flat 20. I don't think they need any more than 20. The NHS. The 20% tax rate. Yeah. I, I do not think the government need flat. any more than a flat 20. Flat 20 on court, flat 20 on income. Why don't you get 20% off all these billion dollar corporations that go to Ireland and pay 4% tax? They come for people like me because they know they can get me because I've got a, a profile. Uh, my accountant sent me a letter yesterday, the hundreds of thousands of pounds from one company that I have to pay in in tax something okay so that's going to go one third international debt one third into other which means politician salaries far too many of them uh, and in nhs like that is a broken system like the police is completely all right. defunded all right so i have two questions for you do you think that the fact that you're paying higher taxes here and the marginal tax rate is higher here do you think that that translates into people treating the commons better the subways, the parks, etc. It could do if money goes into those. I mean, or do you think it's cultural? Like people just have a different cultural attitude to treat stuff better here. Yeah, I mean, I think we it, culturally we maybe are a little bit more polite. You don't get many school shootings. People generally still have some old school values. You know, open the door for the lady, respect your elders. I talk, I hear people still talk about those values, which maybe Britain was known for very polite society. I don't really know too much about American culture, but, it, but the, it's there's, a shock here. There's a safety net though, right? There's a safety net for people here in a way that there's not really a safety net in the US. I mean, there is, but it's, for just as a quick example, somebody told me is something who ran um, um, the New Mexico healthcare system probably shouldn't have said that because I don't want to identify him, but somebody said something to me who ran a healthcare system, hopefully you can edit that out, <laughs> and he said that a very small number of people, like a very small number of people, under 100 people, are responsible for about a third of the total um, uh, healthcare deficit. And I said, that's just, that's literally impossible. There's just no possible way that could be true. That would mean each person, but here's what I didn't know. So, and then I'm, I'm asking you this for a very specific reason about the high taxes. There's a certain minuscule percentage of people, homeless, drug addicts, who don't have insurance, who go to the emergency room and they get in fights, they fall down, they're constantly, and the emergency room is the most, by far the most expensive kind and type of medicine. 
we have a terrible system in the country of our healthcare system is a catastrophe. Sorry, I forgot to turn off my phone. Our healthcare system is a catastrophe. You don't have that here. But you don't have that here because we do, we do you're now. paying higher taxes. We do now. You see, for years, decades, yeah. the NHS, the National Health Service, it was the, you know, the, the beacon of health systems across the world. It's broken now. People cannot get in. They can't book appointments. Doctors are way overrun. People are dying of cancer when they should be getting treated. And the NHS is broken from the inside out. So I have to pay twice for health. Yeah. I have to pay my taxes to the NHS, which is the third highest source of where my tax money goes. And I have to pay private to make sure I can get in to make sure that my family are Okay, well. okay. So, so it may again, have I'm, no, been. I'm no UK expert, but isn't one of the reasons that, the, the, that you're having these difficulties is because there are so many, and I know I'm gonna say this and I'm gonna get 10,000 Bogosians a bigot and all that, so I don't mean it like that, but I'm trying to think of the most politic way to say this, that people have come to this country who do not have insurance and who do not have means, and the government has to provide for those people. So like, if you look at the, because I saw, a, cur, I saw a, um, a, a chart graph of immigration and healthcare spending, and there's almost a one-to-one, -one, and I'm not saying that's solely responsible, but you know, 25 years ago, that wasn't a problem here, right? And of course, the aging population. Which is the other problem. Yeah, huge aging population, people living longer. Of course, that's really good for the pharmaceutical companies and keep but pumping that, them for the drugs. But that's the thing, like you don't want to have people dying on your streets of cancer who can't afford healthcare. So someone's got to pay for it. Mm. So, I mean, isn't the, don't those high taxes? Uh, I, my business partner sent me a, um, a message because he'd done some research and he said, we pay 46,300 pounds a year towards elderly healthcare. Man, you must be making mad money. <laughs> and see, yes. people always accuse people like me. Yeah. Oh, you know, you moan about taxes. No, I pay millions in taxes every year. I have 360 properties. Our VAT bills are eye-watering. And I pay millions in taxes, but it is unfair because I do not get value. And you could buy a watch for a fiver and think that that's a piece of rubbish, it's not okay. valuable. Tell, tell me, I never talk about this, so this is, this is quite interesting to me. Tell me why it's unfair. Because it's too high and I'm not getting value. You, you, but you, but you do get value. You, no, you no, do, no, 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 you, you, you get you, to go on the subway and no one's gonna shoot you. No one's gonna take a shit on the subway. Well, no, you can, You yeah. get to walk down, no, no, but you yeah, do. But you kind you of assume to, that that would be nor, normal not to receive that. But you get to live in a society in which if some deranged maniac is waving an ax, that he'll what? be picked up by the, so the police run. No, in, in Nottingham, you, 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 three, you, some you, random knife attacker went and um, stabbed three random people in Nottingham yesterday. And did the police pick him up? Uh, in the end. Um, so you have a penal system. Like things work here in a way they don't work where I live. Well, the healthcare system doesn't really work. So, and COVID, okay. and all the money they spent on that didn't work. Okay, so like when you look at you know, pictures of Brazil, those aerial photos, you have, you know, or South Africa, you know, rich people, poor people. I would argue that I just, I think that the life is better for you because people pay higher taxes, because, and again, there could be other cultural factors. I'm sure there are other cultural factors. And that's always the factors. argument, isn't it? That's the default argument. But it's true though, right? I mean. Is it true though? Like you just ordered a coffee. 
Right. And you paid, let's say, three pounds for it. And they put the wrong milk in it. Right. So that's expensive. And we had to go back and get another one. You had to get, go right. back and get an oat milk one. And then you've got an oat milk one and you're like, oh, that's more valuable. That's right. So I think it's all relative. I agree with you because I also don't want to be too negative. I'm very grateful to be alive. I've got family, I've got children. Then They didn't get knife murdered by anyone yesterday. It's great to meet new people like you. We love what we do. I've got so much to be grateful for. But if you compare over the years, especially since COVID, we are paying more and we are getting less. So I believe value is relative. No, I I agree. I agree. And I, you know, as a general rule, I personally have avoided the COVID thing assiduously. I never talk about COVID. Because you don't want to get cancelled, probably. No, I mean, I'm I'm way beyond that. (laughs) You're fucked already. I mean, I'm way beyond that. All the (laughs) shit that I've done, like, not even remotely close. I'm, like, totally uncancelable at this point. I don't talk about this because I don't know... I just I just don't know enough about this about medicine or science or biology. More like, I just people don't died know. because of lockdown than lockdown was predicted to save. Those stats are out and pretty well known now. Yeah, our government here spent twenty two billion on a track and trace app oh, that yeah, didn't work that. properly and kept that. sending everyone home that should be back at work and pumped billions tens of billions okay let me okay let me ask you a question then so let's take out the whole covid thing uh, totally out of the equation do you think the fact that you're spending money your high tax rates do you think that that's you, you say would you still think it's unfair it depends on how much it is like i said i feel 20 percent is fair so anything above that feels unfair anything below that feels very fair. Okay, so let me ask you two questions. So court tax went up from 19 to 25 post-lockdown. Yeah. That is a, a 30-odd percent rise in one go. That's not fair. Okay, so, so let, let me ask you two questions. What about people who are, I don't know what the poverty line in this country is, but what about people who are really poor, having them pay 20% of the taxes, like 20% to them is an enormous sum of money. I'm sure they're not buying you know, four pounds that's like six dollars for a cup of coffee like if you're making ten dollars an hour or whatever it is over here you're not spending you know six of that on a coffee so isn't that uh, isn't that asking those people to pay 20 percent seems like it is unfair and then one more thing i'll throw to you you said high politician salaries but isn't the reason that we need to pay politicians more so that they to make them less uh, susceptible to bribery well on your second point, I actually would be in favour of politicians being paid more money. I definitely would. I think Because of the bribery thing. Yeah, and, and basically if you earn enough money, you don't have the temptation Correct. to take the risk. Correct. And I imagine, I don't know for sure, but I imagine one of the big reasons these big corporations avoid the, the taxes is because of political influence and donations and, and, and things like that. And, influence into legislation correct because imagine a politician who came in and went right okay we're a few trillion short but google facebook and amazon charge them an extra five percent actually get it because they charge 25 like we are but they get four right so there's 21 percent there and imagine if they got an extra four percent of amazon google facebook etc there's trillions already generated instead they go for the working man the small business owner and the people on the poverty line because they're easier to get the money from so that to me sounds like 
a fairly simple fix. Okay, you need a good, honest, unbribable politician with a vision. Correct. The problem with our political system is you're in for four years max, so you can't have a 10-year right. vision. All you can do is go, I'll be a careerist, I'll make the most out of my career, yeah. hopefully I'll get paid a load as, as a keynote speaker after I'm yeah. you know, out of office. And, and on the percentage rate, no, I think a flat percentage rate is fair because you could argue yeah. that someone who's poor who's paying 20% is paying a lot, yeah. but 20% of 100 million is a lot. I don't think it's any different. I think well, it's, it's flat it's, and it's, it's fair. Well, it's different. And, and also it's, we contribute a lot more financially to society with the jobs that we create. No, no, the sure, we sure, sure. But it, it's different though, in terms of what you can, again, I don't know what the, what is the, do you have a, even have a minimum wage here? You must. Oh, uh, yeah, I don't know what it is right now. And, it, and but it'll let's, say, let's just say it's $20 or yeah. 20 pounds. Is that what it is at the moment? Oh my God, okay. that's literally nothing. Yeah. That's just like nothing. Like. I shouldn't say literally nothing, but that's a, I mean, so how are you going to get an apartment on nine, nine pounds we, an hour? This is, the, this is the inflation problem and this is the cost of living crisis. Um, I, I remember I drove one of my cars into the town centre to pick up my coffee and a homeless guy came up to me and he's like, nice car, and started talking to me. And I was just chatting to him and I said, well, you, you know, are you working at the moment? He's like, nah, it's no point. I went, why? And he goes, because I will earn less if I go to work than if I just stay on the benefits yeah. that I'm on. I've heard people say so that. So this is a big problem in the UK where, look, some people, they've had horrible injuries, they've got really bad health issues. Okay, but there's a good few million people who okay. are gaming the pa system that okay. should be out to work. Okay, pause on that. So let's say that someone through no fault of their own, 25-year-old kid gets cancer, becomes debilitated, something happens. So you don't mind paying for the people who- 100% don't mind. Okay, I don't mind either. Yeah, like 100% don't mind. How else are these people gonna get Yeah, because I don't, I don't wanna live in a society in which these people die by the side of the road. No, no. But what about the people that could work, yeah. that have got the skills to work, they've just lost a belief and they've gamed the system. What about if we changed how they're claiming benefits and we got them all back to work? Okay, so- Educated the, them. So the, the uh, or retrain them or- re Yeah. So in, in Oregon, uh, it's, I'm going to tell you this, this is, I'm not being facetious, I'm be, Google it, Google it. Uh, <laughs> it's illegal to pump your own gas. Illegal, what, in case you nick it? N no, no. Um, so the, so uh, as a friend of mine uh, uh, described it, we're basically paying people to not commit crimes and we're giving them a job to give them dignity. Uh, do you see that as a good thing or a bad thing then? Well, I was going to ask you what you think of that. I mean... I, I, I think that... There isn't enough focus on rebuilding the economy and getting the economy thriving. And actually, yeah. um, a lot of well-being in the world comes from a good, healthy, thriving economy where inflation isn't too high and interest rates aren't too high. So bringing people out of unemployment and giving them jobs, even if it's basic jobs like that, and help building them skills, I'm probably more for that than I am against that. Even if some of those jobs are maybe not necessarily needed right now, but at least we're getting them mobile. We're building their self-worth. How can that not be good? Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, the, the price of gas is slightly higher, but it's not that much higher. Um, but but I, I've been thinking about that. I think about that literally every time I go to the gas station to get gas. Better to pay them than, sorry to interrupt you, Peter. No, no. Better to pay them than these oil and gas firms that are making tens of billions profiting out of our highest cost of living since whenever. I mean, these massive corporations that were making tens of billions 
I have 340 tenants in my properties and most of them, they pay bills included. So my gas and electric bills was going up 400%. Yet these companies are making record profits. Far better give it to someone who's trying to rebuild their life and their dignity, pumping the gas and paying an extra few pence a litre, than give it to BP, Shell Oil, Amoco and all these other companies. Yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting. So, so two things. I, Again, I never talk about this stuff, so it's interesting. We're getting some good exclusives here. It's interesting to talk about. I I do want to talk about this idea that it's just so unbelievably irresponsible. We just keep printing money. Mm. I mean, it's so crazy to me. It's so. And then the other thing I wanted wanted to throw out to you um, was something I've also been thinking about. So, do you remember I said that a very small number of people are responsible for a radical, a radically disproportionate healthcare expenditure? Mm. So, somebody figured out, and there is um, uh, data to substantiate this. I'm gonna tell you this, you know, like, that is unbelievable, but th- this is what, the, this is borne out by the data, so unbelievable is, it was unbelievable to me, but it's actually cheaper to put, remember I told you those 100 people? It's actually cheaper to literally put them in apartments with, adult, with physicians than to keep sending them to the, than, than the fact they keep going to the emergency room. So there are places now, and I'm thinking of a few places like Central City Concern or places in, in Portland, Oregon, where we have, in the books, Michael Schellenberger's book, San Francisco is wonderful about this, um, that it's, it's less money for the society to literally house them and have physicians take care of them than it is to send them to the emergency room. And I've been thinking about, there is something about my being here where I don't see even remotely as many homeless people. And I, in particular, what is completely conspicuous that jumps out from Portland, I haven't seen a single person. I was in Australia, I was in Puerto Rico, Hungary, Romania doing videos. I hadn't seen a single person in a tent. Not one single person camping in the whole country. I mean, I haven't been obviously to the whole country, country, but everywhere I've been in, in, in London and surrounding here, Swindon, all these, but I haven't seen a single person tent camping. So I guess my question to you about that is, what is it about this society? And, and, and I guess my real question to you is, do you think it's because high income earners pay more taxes, that there are better facilities, to help people who would otherwise be tent camping on the street or going to the emergency room literally 12 times a week? I mean, why, why is that? It's definitely increased. In Peterborough, there are quite a few people with tents camping out around the place and homelessness has definitely gone up. So they're, they're actually in tents yeah. and they're camping. Okay, yeah. well, I haven't seen it. Yeah, so again, it, everything's relative. Yeah. So if you're paying, I, I've roughly worked it out with the taxes, the stealth taxes and the taxes on the taxes and the double and the triple taxes, about 70% of everything you earn and you spend is tax. So if the streets are getting cleaner and better and the roads are getting in better repair and your NHS system really is working and all these things are operational, you could kind of stomach it. If you're seeing upward progress, but anyone from Peterborough, where we're from, and it might be different regionally. Uh, let me pause here. Yeah. So the reason you can stomach it is because you see the effects of your money and it makes the society better. Mm. Okay. Yeah, so right. if, if planning laws are friendly and if every time you go into some 
institution, it's clean, it's well kept. You just don't really see any of that anymore. You see a degradation in virtually everything. Planning so, laws. Okay, are so what do you think is responsible for the degradation? Personally, I think, like if I had a choice between giving my 12 year old son a hundred thousand pounds of my money to deploy or my national government a hundred thousand pounds of my money to oh, deploy I'd give course, it to my son of course I mean I'd much rather have someone like Elon Musk running the world because if you gave him a hundred thousand pounds in um, in tax he's probably going to do pretty good things with that money he's proven but the, the problem is you take a hundred grand in tax it's got to pay all the politicians and all their salaries and all their expenses and, and, and as it trickles down yeah. what's left okay what's but What's been responsible for the degradation? Personally, I know we didn't want to talk about it too much, but we've seen a dramatic change in this country since lockdown. Because lockdown cost okay, so, so you think much it's, you money. think it's the, the COVID, so then the degradation did not precede COVID? I would say it was much slower. Yeah, much slower. But you know, all of a sudden in COVID, you're hearing of people who are dying because they can't get in hospital and they're not dying of COVID, they're dying with COVID. You know, and then all these figures are all, all fudged and right. all these small businesses that have to shut down and go bust because it's illegal to trade. And then all this artificial money being printed, pumped in, in the form of, um, you know, loans and furlough and, and all this stuff. And yeah, and I, I read some comments, you know, Neil Ferguson, not the, the historian, but the other Neil Ferguson, unfortunately, they have the same name. But I read some comments by him. Do you think that, I guess maybe we'll go here a little bit, but do you think that was intentional? I mean, do you think that, that, that they knew it wasn't as deadly? Because certainly initially you can't say that, right? No, I, no, I am, um, like you, I don't want to be too negative. And you know, some, some theories, which may be conspiracy and maybe not, were that it was a great test to see how compliant humanity was and how much we can control them. And, and I'm honestly not sure about that. If I was running the government and I was fed all this data yeah. with like everyone could die and all, all these analysts pumping fear into me, my, I have wanted to lock the country down a little bit, even if it's just to be safe. Yeah, because I wouldn't want to see masses of people die. Right, let me ask you a question. But there was a time when they knew they didn't need to do it anymore and they extended right. it and extended it and extended right, it. Right, right. Okay, so let me ask you a question. So let's run with that idea just for a second. So you're upset with the high tax bill. Mm. Um, you're upset with the degradation of things. And I, I can't speak to that because I haven't been here since, well, once, but I lived here for a year, almost a year, 1986 or so. But so I, I've seen the changes, the demographic changes. I've seen radical uh, uh, gentrification of neighborhoods, but, but I, haven't, I don't live here, so I don't see like mm. the NIH or I, I don't see the insides of systems. So let me ask you a question. So let's say that, that the government put you in charge of the tax office. What would you do differently that they're not doing? Well, immediately I'd put it to a flat rate. Okay. I immediately. Um, and I'd try and work out what the most fair flat rate is where the populace would be the least pissed off. That w and that would take some analysis to do it. The next thing is I would get rid of anyone that's bent and corrupt, even if it meant I had half my office left. Uh, I would sell a vision. When I want. you say get rid of, them, when you say get rid of them, put them in prison or what? Or, or at least just get them out of the job. Um, yeah, m maybe I would go go quite hard because I'd want to go for the big corporations. I'm not a, a great fan of 
wealth taxes or windfall taxes because I don't like punishing commerce and industry and I wouldn't want Amazon and Google to be like, oh, well, maybe we'll leave the UK then. Is, the, the, is there an inheritance tax here? Yeah. Would you keep that, get rid of that? Would you I know? think that that's really penal as well. You build up all this wealth and then just almost half of it is just taken off you at, at death. But the problem is they're so short of money, they just have to keep finding new ways to tax you. And everywhere you look, there's a new speed camera, there's a new parking fine, there's automated parking fines that time you to, to the exact Okay, so minute. what are they spending money on? Well, one third of it, the top source is unknown, i.e. they won't tell you. Unknown. Yeah, which to me says salaries, expenses, upkeep of government buildings. Oh, unknown. All unknown. of this stuff. The next highest is interest on debt. And then the next highest is NHS. So they're broken. So Okay, so that's a... So there's no transparency, so you can't no. see what that one third is? No. No, there's basic transparency, i.e. NHS, interest on debt. So, um, yeah, I'd, I'd go after Amazon and Google. In a ver I'd try and be, do it very elegantly, but I'm like, look, you're paying 4%. You, you, you've had it away. I'm not going to charge you 20. I'm going to find you a way to charge you 8 I'm going to charge you less than all, but I want an extra 4 to 6% of that 25% off you. Otherwise, you can fuck off. And, and, and that is going to be trillions of pounds okay. immediately in the coffers. You, then you've got to start yeah. paying some of the debt back. Well, I'm just going to ask you, what would you do with that? You wouldn't want to pay it all on debt, because, um, but if you don't reverse the debt process, all you do is continually devalue money so inflation goes up so affordability goes down like it had affordability is the worst it's been since okay. the second world war all right so let me ask you so again i'm way out of my area now <laughs> so let me ask you a question so if oh another thing sorry peter yeah yeah the tax code my accountant tells me the tax code's like freaking war and peace so you go through I'm that sure you rip it up true. and you make it a 10-page document you make it really super clean and simple yeah, then you need to give all the accountants new jobs. Exactly. All the people who are being justifying their salaries to <laughs> keep this document up to date. You're all gone. Go and get a real job. Go and work for a, a proper firm. Uh, it's too much public sector. Public sector feeds off private sector. We need more pub private sector jobs. More entrepreneurs should all get released. Get rid of business rates. When you start a business in this country, the government go, right, oh, you want to start a business? Get some rent, get a building. Oh, we're going to charge you business rates. Oh, we're taxing you just to have a business. Get rid of that. Get people encouraged to uh, start Small business is the backbone, take a, take the a backbone of the economy. 90% of the economy is small business revenue. Yeah, Absolutely. Yet the government, apparently, because of their old school, public school mentality, really look down on small business owners. You know, I know you said earlier, you, you think university got to get rid of it. I mean, if I, I, if I had control of university, we'd be, we'd be learning business, finance, economics, entrepreneurship. I mean, yeah, we need doctors and dentists and lawyers, so I wouldn't wipe it all out. But the, Real things, yeah. STEM, STEM fields, engineering, real yeah. things, uh, and reading, writing, math. Okay, let, so let me, throw, let me throw out an idea that I've had. Again, I never talk about this stuff. Never, <laughs> let me throw out an idea I've had. What would you say to the idea that one of the reasons Western governments continue to print money is because we can't pay back the debt. And if we make our money worth less, then that larger, it's, it becomes easier to pay back, for example, debt from China because we've devalued our own currency. That's exactly what they're doing. That is exactly what they're doing. So um, people think that Debt is bad, but debt is good. 
Uh, it depends on the type of debt. So um, if you print more money, you have more in circulation, therefore the money in circulation relatively devalues because of oversupply and under demand. So every pound's worth a little bit less as more money is printed Correct. in. So let's say I've got a debt with you, and I can't pay it back, if I, but I've got the license to print money. I just print loads of money, and relatively my debt now with Correct. inflation is worth a lot less, so relatively I owe you less. Right. This is why I like having mortgages on properties. Because um, if inflation is 10% a year, then the government are paying off my mortgages at 10% every year. Yeah. And that inflation is forcing rents up because cost of living is going up. So, I mean, I'm pissed off with the government, but there's always some upside. So the government are helping pay off my mortgages and pushing my rents up. So how do you, how does a country, and again, this is a little a field because I'm not talking about the UK, I'm talking about the US where we have bar borrowed truly insane amounts of money from, from China. And we owe a lot of that to ourselves. Was it thir $13 trillion? I heard How it was $31 we... trillion. Is, is it that really? That was what I heard. I, yeah, something like that. And of course, they've just passed the law to increase the debt ceiling, which makes, right, a, right. makes a debt ceiling just a figment of our imagination if they can just move it. Correct. So I mean, what, so I don't know, I don't know how we well, get it. Who's gonna wanna I, come in and start just, paying that back? What politician is going to want to restrict? Well, literally nobody. No. So all these people that say that fiat currency is a Ponzi scheme, they have a point in that how much can you erode the value of money before it becomes like Zimbabwe or wherever where they're printing $100 million bills and you can't buy bread with them? When, when does that happen? Well, I'll take a stab at that. Maybe if it was rhetorical, but I'll tilt it. <laughs> when uh, the dollar is no, no, no less, uh, no longer the world's currency, and uh, we don't trade uh, oil and petrodollars. Well, well Ray Dalio. That's the thinks, end of the end, yeah. end of empire. And then that's why these guys like Balaji and the Bitcoin guys. I mean, I don't know. I again, this is way out of my area, but it would seem that that Bitcoin is going a hundred. Well, the thing with Bitcoin is it has um, unpenetrable. Um, limit on supply. It's got 21 million. No one, no government official, no individual, no corporation, no entity to go in and go, I will print another 10 bill of these bitcoins. So therefore, when you have high demand and low supply, you have price, right. price increase. So that's the, pro that's the reverse with the government. They can come in and print their own money right. and they can do the opposite. So that's one, there's many things that Bitcoin has as, a, as an upside and a positive, but the, the, the uninfiltratable supply and demand is a big part of it. Let me ask you a question. So the reason I'm here in the UK is, uh, you know who John Cleese is? Mm. Yeah, so I did a thing with... Um, GB News, he's on GB News now, isn't he, John? Uh, I think so, yeah, mm. he, and he did a thing with... Um, we, we, we did, we did, it was an amazing uh, experience with him. But I mentioned it because when you hang out with him, his whole lens of reality is humor. Like literally everything he thinks about is, it's funny, good joke. Like that's his interpretive framework mm. for reality. And sitting talking to you, your interpretive framework for reality is financial knowledge, is like thinking about these things, helping other people kind of think about how to invest their money. So I, I guess I had two questions for you about that. How, do you, how does somebody think when they have your mindset 
that someone who does not have that mindset thinks? Like, what do you know and think about that they don't know and think about? Uh, how money works. How a general overview of how the system works around money um, and the importance of money. So a lot of people are raised money is in, important or people will judge you if you've got money or money doesn't grow on trees or you know money doesn't buy you happiness and they have all these beliefs around money whereas I've been broke, I was in a lot of debt and I wasn't very happy and I turned my life around and became an entrepreneur and became a millionaire and then you know grew my businesses and the little empire that I've got and I see all the good things that money brings if you know it. It's like a, a, a very powerful tool. You know, like the Swiss army knives you used to get. That thing can basically help you survive for a week in the wilderness, or you could go and knife someone with it, depending on how you use the tool. And, and money is very much like that. It's, a, it's an amplifier and an, an enabler of someone's existing set of values and beliefs. Um, and I studied this for a decade. I actually wrote the UK's best-selling book on money called Money. And, and my personal vision is to help as many people on this planet get better financial education and knowledge because I think the schools and your parents, they don't want you to know it or they don't know it. Or they're teaching you all of this lack. Um, like not knowing what yeah. inflation is and the upsides of inflation. Not knowing, not knowing why saving will not make you rich. Not knowing what asset classes to invest right. in. Not knowing how to start a business. These are all things that can make you self-responsible, accountable, reliant. Because there's no uh, it, better feeling yeah. in the world than being independent. Yeah, so, okay, so when you walk through the world, um, you know, like Cleese, or sometimes I, I you know, hang out with a lot of people who do MMA seriously, like they walk through the world, they're thinking about choking people or whatever. <laughs> yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like everybody walks through the world with their own lens. Yeah. And when, when people wear your lens, they feel more confident and more independent because they know how to, you know, I think it's pretty obvious that the things you're talking about are not just important, but indispensable that we need to teach people. We need to teach kids. That, by the way, is my other, my other suspicion. I could be wrong about this, but I think I'm right. I think podcasts are so popular and they go to you, they go to Rogan, they go to other people. I think the reason people do that is because they're not getting that in school. They're getting nonsense. Yeah. yeah. And I think that, that they're looking to learn about money, but you know, frankly, Either you should be in school as a kind of social responsibility that you have to people, or um, they, they should have some kind of curriculum where you said you're going to go to high school. Like, why isn't that being, so why isn't that being taught in school? Well, I can only think when I went to school, there were a lot of subjects I was being force-fed that I wasn't interested in. Religious studies, geography, it doesn't really well, matter. Well, geography, I'd say, is important. Yeah, I mean, we've all got a different metric of what's important yeah. sometimes you like the subject you don't like the teacher and the teacher's putting you off the subject right. i see that with, but with you need kids. to know like where's you know denmark is north of germany like you need to know some that's useful but i would argue learning about money and how it works and how to build your own economy and how to be a useful person to humanity i would argue that's probably even more important than knowing where denmark is I wonder about that. I think well, I mean, they're, if, they're if related, we were, right? If we were all revenue generators and creators and producers, like the rising of the tide lifts all ships, that's going to be very valuable to society. Correct. But we can't quite name the, the continent that Denmark's in. That's probably not going <laughs> to... Probably not... But if, you, if we, you're shipping goods to Denmark and, yeah. and you're in, you know, Bratislava or something, you, you need to know, like, oh, this is going to cost... a. But, but yeah, anyway, I'm but, certainly, I'm, not, but I'm, I'm giving it to you. I'll give it to you. Go ahead. Yeah. yeah. I'm certainly not. I, I'm, of course, 
projecting my own values out when I say there were subjects I liked and didn't like. Because yeah. many people might say that r religious studies is really important. To me, a lot of it was, did I like the teacher or not? Yeah. Um, and that, that's the wrong driver for wanting to learn a lesson. But there was no business, no finance. There was economics, but no one was really sold into going. And that was like the boring class. Uh, and I think, I don't think, because someone told me this is really interesting. I, like, this shocked me, but didn't. Um, in the UK, we have a major housing crisis. We have a massive undersupply of houses Correct. and a massive oversupply of people. Correct. And it hasn't changed forever. Yeah. And everyone asks why. And there's been apparently like 20 something housing ministers in the last 30 years and they've all come in with good intentions and they've made no impact. And a, a top economist who writes for The Telegraph, he said to me, there's a reason for this. Because when a housing minister comes in and you know, they go to the treasury and they're like, look, we really need to build more houses, the banks veto it. And the reason the banks veto it is because the banks don't want 10 million more houses built because the value of their mortgages and their collateral on the existing houses go down. Ah, like, oh, fuck, yeah, I get it. Because we have been like hundreds of thousands of houses behind since whenever. So I think that there's some force behind the education system that is suppressing the true financial education because I don't think it serves well, that's, the banks. It's a, that's terrible for the society and the economy and people's well-being, but it's great for you. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it's great for you yeah because, because people, people like go, me, although yeah. I might end up getting cancelled. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But if you're, if you're a bank, you want people to be indoctrinated to save money. Peter, come and save with us. That's yeah. how you get wealthy. And what do you do? You give all your money to me. And now you're earning no interest or a bit. Inflation's wiping it out. And I can go and, and lend it out to everyone. Inflation's wiping it out. Yeah. Right. And so your money is funding my business. So right. I'm quite happy for you to believe that. Also, what, what am I going to tell a house is the best investment you'll ever make, Peter. So come and get a mortgage off me. Yeah. And you get a hundred grand mortgage off me and you're paying that off for the next 25 years. And I need to propagandize and pump you full of all of that. Yeah, I, so you can make me a profit. Because if, if I teach you how yeah. the world really works in business and finance, you're not going to give me any money. Yeah, okay. So I'm not... I get that. Like, I really get that. I'm not... I don't know that I'm buying it from the point of view of... Again, I don't know, I'm not that familiar, you know, in the, with the UK and the United States, we have a Department of Education. And I have often also, like yourself, wondered why we don't teach people basic financial literacy. And, and I don't... I don't think, I, I think, I have a hard think it serves time, society. I don't think it serves the people that run society. See, I have a hard time believing that. So the, 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 I have a hard time believing there's any kind of conspiracy going on. I don't... Okay. I, I would much on the, on the yeah. one extreme, there might be a conspiracy. On the other extreme, it might just be an old guard, an old way of doing it. But that would be even more important for, for them, like pre-digital. Oh, we haven't even talked about ESG. We, got, we haven't even... There are so many financial things that we can talk about. But yeah, no, I don't know. I don't know why we have um, uh, mistriaged our problems. The economic problems are terrible. Look... The whole trans thing, which I probably shouldn't have mentioned again, this is a minuscule of a minuscule of a minuscule problem. You know, and who cares? Is it, isn't it just an individual's right to be themselves? Whatever you want to be, great. Crack on. Let's talk about some interesting important Well, let's stuff. talk about things like, I mean, inflation is just large-scale theft from people. Yeah. You're, you know, by the way, you're one of the only people I've ever talked to when I've said this stuff, they'd be like, yeah. I mean, most people want to just get, maybe it's because it's me and they, I talk about culture war stuff, but 
I mean, the, the, the fentanyl crisis in the United States is a complete catastrophe. You know, the, the uh, addiction more broadly crisis in the United States, the homeless crisis, you know, uh, in, in, on the West Coast from Seattle, um, Portland, San Francisco, and, and LA is a complete shithole, and down, we have tens of thousands of people who are living impoverished with psychological conditions, drug addiction, who are on the streets. Uh, very quick story, um, I had to um, return this thing to this p place in Portland called the Pearl District, and uh, my, my daughter needed something returned, so I called up the store and I said, hey, I'm, I, I didn't need to know you're open, I gotta come down, I gotta drop something off, and she said, yeah, that's, the woman on the phone said, yeah, that, that's great, but uh, don't leave anything in your car. They call this the laptop donation area because people keep breaking into the cars and stealing people's laptops, stealing anything. And so I'm like, oh wow. So I told, I live with this uh, wonderful woman named Cindy. So I, I told Cindy was actually super interesting. She was a homeless drug addict herself and managed to pull herself out of it, became a professional bodybuilder, fascinating wow. human. Yeah. But anyway, so I told her and she said to me, oh hey, since you're going to the Pearl District, would you mind taking this to me? I need, I, I need to drop it off. I'm like, sure. And so I did the same thing. I called and the woman on the phone, another woman said to me, hey, this is the laptop donation area. Don't leave anything in your car. So like, like who wants to live in a society like that? That's one of the reasons I moved. But you know, crime is out of control, the murder rates are out of control. Again, from Portland, 400% the murder rate has almost 400, like 398 or something. Almost 400% the murder rate's gone up in the last few since George Floyd. Wow. So these are issues. Do you think this is because big pharma have no incentive to stop selling drugs? Oh, the, no, the murder rate, no. But, but the fentanyl the home, addiction. The homeless man, boy. Um, I mean, pharma must be making decent money out of fentanyl, I, I guess. I, that's way out of my area. I mean, I don't, I don't know. Like even okay, so here, all right, I'll tell you. Since you ask, I never talk about. So I'm always guarded about talking about stuff I don't know. But, but I thought it's too late. Uh, no, I know. Now it's way too late. So but you I'll, could you can theorize, can't you? I'll theorize, and I could be totally wrong about this. Okay, mm. so here's the problem. So, uh, a, a friend of mine, someone I I, I respect. Actually, I'll tell you who it is. He's a public intellectual. Michael Shermer was telling me. I called him from San Francisco a while ago, and I said, wow, I can't believe what a shithole this place is. Like, I just can't. I think I read 40% uh, of people, do so this is another thing for you. 40% of people don't want to uh, travel on the bar, the public train, because they're afraid. Okay, just think about that. I've never been once fearful of getting on the tube or the bus. I've never had any problems. But I mean, it's been smooth as can't. But anyway, okay. So... San Francisco had this program to increase um, services for homeless people and people suffering from drug addiction. I can't remember, let's just call it, what the, fee, what the amount of money they spent was, let's just call it X. So many people came because they offered the services that two X came. More people came than the amount of money they had for services. The reason that I told you this is because I'm gonna make a prediction to you. If you think you're smart, don't think you're smart, make predictions, I'm gonna make a prediction. No matter who the nominee is for the pres you know, president, nobody's gonna talk about homelessness or drug addiction. I'm gonna tell you why. Because you cannot have a local solution to that problem. Because if Portland or Seattle or San Francisco or what have you, Santa Barbara, particularly West Coast cities, but not exclusively, start offering those services, more people would come 
because they want access to services. So the solution to this is federal. But the reason that even Vivek Ramaswamy, no matter who is, is, is nominated or becomes president, nobody's going to talk about it because you need a federal solution that would cost trillions of dollars, trillions with a T. So if you think, you know, that's another T on top of, mm. so I don't, I don't see that problem as solvable unless it, it, it is a, um, I, I think people living in those communities have had it and they're sick of it, but unless there's a federal solution, I don't see the needle moving at all. Yeah, because I, Maybe I, I'm wrong, maybe I'm wrong. Yeah. Maybe. I don't know, it's just, e even if I look at the big pharma companies, not with the conspiracy mindset, just with the understanding of humanity mindset, um, why would you stop doing something that's making you profit? Why would Coca-Cola stop selling sugar? It's made them billions, why would they stop? They would only stop when there's intervention yeah. okay. from... Okay, so sugar is another thing we could talk about. Sugar is a poison. Mm. There's just no question it's about highly it. Highly addictive. Yeah. So why isn't our media, like with lockdown and... Yeah, I, why, I saw something... Why didn't in, they tell you to lose weight? Why didn't they tell why you to go for a walk and Why didn't they to tell exercise? you to exercise? Why didn't they give you a voucher to get your first personal training session free? Why don't they fund personal trainers so that they can set up their businesses? Why, don't, why, they, why, why don't they do yeah. all this? Because... Because then the big pharma. Oh, why, didn't, why didn't they just? Okay, I have, I have a. I'd like to answer that question. Mm. I don't think it's 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 a conspiracy. Why didn't they just tell you, hey man, listen, chill out on the donuts. Just stop. Just just seriously, cut your carbs in half. Stop adding sugar to your coffee. Cut it. Chill out on the pastas. Uh, here's my um, speculation on that. I think they did it because they're so hypersensitive to people's feelings that we live in a, like a feelings-based culture now. Nobody wants to offend anybody. Everybody's walking on eggshells. Whereas even independent of COVID, because at first those were comorbidities, right? A lot of people, in fact, if you look at the people who died, a lot of them were morbidly obese and had pre-existing health conditions. All they need to do is say, stretch, do some push-ups, walk around the neighborhood, chill out in the sugars, it's killing you. Mm. Don't be fat, lose weight. I never heard any of those messages. Nobody heard any of those messages. But you would think that that is the lowest of low-hanging fruit. Yeah. Chill out on the sugars, go for a walk. We can't even tell that to people. No, and you do that, then there's less stress on the NHS because you've got less people coming in with heart And, and people's quality of life would be vastly yeah. superior. And then you've got better energy, then you're better at producing, you can be a more useful... Uh, uh, Correct. I, I don't get it. I mean, one thing that's game-changed for me, because yeah. I'm a, apparently a middle-aged man now, yeah. and... Um, over the last few years. now, 50, it's middle age. Okay, I'm, I'm approaching yeah, yeah, yeah. there. So, so um, training for this fight, 24 weeks of hard training. Uh, I could feel depressed and down and lethargic. And I get down that gym and I do a hard circuit, and my brain 100%. is so clear. 100%. And you can literally sweat out any demons in your head. And then you get in the ice bath, you go, ah, for two and a half minutes. Ah. And you can take on the world and you can go and have six hour board meetings and everything else. And it was like right. so if, game if changing. A hundred percent. So if we want to start promoting values in our school system, here's a value for you. This should be the most uncontroversial thing someone can say. Workout. You'll feel better about yourself. Every it's evidence-based, yeah. overwhelming evidence for this. Workout. Watch your diet. Of course, the, something that's very unsexy, but no one talks about is sleep. Right? Get enough sleep. Don't wake up tired going through the day tired. That's a value. Here's another value. Be financially responsible. Be responsible with your money and understand what it is to incur debt. I mean, 
but we don't teach people those values. So, it, you know, there's this big thing in the United States. But podcasts you know, are now and YouTube is now, which is maybe why it's more becoming more popular than school now, to back to your question. Yeah, I mean, I look, we're teaching people this whole craziness about drag queen story hour. I don't know if you're following that. We're just teaching people. So if you're going to teach somebody something, teach them something that's non-ideological and evidence-based. Teach people to value evidence as it helps them navigate the realities of their life, right? Being in shape, there is overwhelming evidence that this is good for your mental health and there's literally every person who's been in shape, there's a, an infinite amount of testimonial data to this. <laughs> but we don't talk to, we teach people they can be healthy at every size or you know, you know but this is not about yeah, that. Yeah, we put overweight people on the front of magazines. Yeah, and, and chill like out that. on the smoking is the other thing. So you gotta stop that shit. That's, yeah. it's just, like that's one of the things I don't like about Europe. It's like everybody's smoking, smoking, smoking. You walk out and every, you're, you're, you know, you're coughing, you're gasping. Um, mm. But anyway, but that would be an example of a value we could teach in our university system, which should have universal, yeah. but it doesn't. But then because we have some people saying you're going to make fat people feel bad or you have some, you know, Well, actually, crazy people. I used to be fat. I used to be the, the fattest kid oh, in my so year you know. at school. And I know, and I know that shame is a powerful motivator. Shame is what got me to lose my weight to prove people wrong. I'm like, it, oh, shame is really bad and just seek happiness and try and yeah, hide yeah. away from these. No, shame and guilt and envy, these emotions can really be leveraged to create and to build and to turn your life around. Yeah. yeah. And that's what we need to teach people, right? So we need to, we need to get away from ideology and move people toward evidence. Mm. Self-reliance. Yeah, oh, personal responsibility. Like I blamed, Everyone and everything for my yeah. okay. know, let useless me just, life. Let me just say this because you're going to have 100 comments on this on the YouTube channel. So when I say self-reliance, there are practices. So people say, well, evidence, self-reliance isn't an evidence-based thing. Well, that's it's, it's absolutely completely untrue. We, we, people who are, 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 are more self-reliant um, and have... You know, you have to have a, a, a mixture. It's not that it's necessarily bad to be, you know, young kids in particular, you know, you depend on your parents, right? But we need to cultivate in people these dispositions that help them to achieve success and flourishing in their own lives. And this is not co a complicated thing. But for whatever reason, it seems to be a controversial thing, which is completely insane. Yeah, like be responsible for your own results and don't make excuses. Oh, but this happened to me and that happened to me and that's not fair. And I'm, I'm going to throw. Yeah, I'm not a sing, I'm not a young white male, so. I'm going to throw something else out to you. What I think people should be responsible for. Maybe you can disagree what with they me. Say. And I'd welcome, I'd welcome your disagreement. You should be responsible for being able to defend yourself physically. You should be responsible. Now, look, that doesn't mean there's victim blaming or you know you can't get jumped mm. by ten guys or whatever. But you need basic self-defense. You need to learn what happens if someone takes you to the ground. You need to, you know, how do you try to use your verbal skills to not get mm. into fight in the first place? Mm. But there are occasions where you are absolutely going to have to defend yourself. So, and you're, I have this Twitter feed that's crazy. It's, it's like Fight Haven. And I watch these real fights all the time of people fighting. And it's amazing. People don't know basic, basic self-defense. You should have a minimum of a blue belt in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. And you should know how to base, throw basic punches and... Yeah. clinch range yeah I am um, I would do you say, agree with that or no I think I do yeah. yeah and the reason being is I think the world feels like it's getting more dangerous 
certainly with what you're saying about crime in America. And, you know, I've got a daughter and that really Okay, put her in immediately. Me. Put her in. How yeah, well, old she, is she? My daughter's eight and she goes to a um, martial arts coach oh, once a week. Good. I put them through, you know, they went to karate, they didn't really like it. A lot of it's the teacher. As, yeah, um, karate's BBS, But I'm, I, won't, so. I won't give up. Um, yeah. And yeah, like Andrew Tate, he calls it combat ready. And sometimes I thought, well, I can speak pretty well. I could probably talk myself out of any situation. I can be polite enough. Almost any. Yeah, exactly. But if someone wants to do something, correct, they can, no matter what I say, it might not, you can get jumped at, at random. And so having done 24 weeks of boxing training now, I want to get to that year that Joe Rogan talks about where it's like, if you've wrestled and boxed for a year, you can probably look after yourself on the street. Yeah. And, and I want to know that I can protect my family. 100%. And I can protect people, people that I'm with. And I, I think that's a really yeah. positive message that's come out of the last few years. 100%. And I would also say, if I may be, may be blunt in this conversation, your daughter could get raped. She could get beaten. It's on you to give her that, right? It's on you to give her a kind of, and I, I don't mean to no, no, rain on your brain, no, but I'm, it's on I, I you. you. This is on you, right? This is on you to make sure she can defend herself. Because she's eight, she, what, what does she know about reality, right? Yeah. So she needs to be placed. What do you think about the theory though of not getting your daughter or females into martial arts and you know teaching them how to avoid the situation? Totally ridiculous. Really? Completely because ridiculous. Because do they have the physical strength to be able to defend 100%. themselves from a man? Well, I mean, look, in, 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 in a one-on-one... I look, guess jiu-jitsu, probably. Yeah, yeah, you don't need to be a world champion or anything. You need... She needs to... Obviously, the first order of business is she needs to yeah. say no. She no, needs to not avoid place herself. To yeah. avoid, to not... The drink, alcohol is a huge problem. Yeah. So she knows to do that. But there may be, and obviously I hope there's not, but there may be some situations in her life she just can't avoid. Yeah. And in those circumstances, it's on her parents to teach her, like, look, so, I mean, and again, I will fully admit as a parent, I failed in, in this with my kids. I try to put my kids in jujitsu. My, my son called, threatened to call the police for child abuse, but, uh, <laughs> yeah. no, he literally did. He hated it so much. I kept him for yeah. years, but I tried with my daughter. It didn't work, but yeah. at least expose them to that. Like you said, the teacher could be fine. Anyway, yeah. I didn't want to go down that rabbit hole, but, no, no, but I think I, that's important for I, girls in particular. I, I think it's a, a really good discussion to have and that's why for the last two years I've not given up on because the thing with your children is the more you force them to do something they don't want to do the more they don't like correct it. so how do you so we kept trying to find a new coach and I found this guy who's training me for the fight and half the time what he's doing with them they're having fun that's the thing. and you know they're punching and kicking and you know he's letting them spar with each other and right and and they're having fun and I'm like this That's is it the key. because you you open that door and, and before they it. know it it's habit yeah what I did with my kids uh, the best best thing I've ever done with my kids hands down is I put them in Chinese immersion programs like the best thing but I didn't give them a choice I didn't tell them anything I just like threw them in there you at, you sent them to at, China to do. Well, he sent him, my son sent himself to China for a few years to, to immerse himself in Mandarin. Now he speaks, blah, blah, blah. I mean, they could be the next world superpower, couldn't they? So I was thinking about learning Chinese. Well, Ray Dalio thinks they'll have, have the next reserve currency. Oh, well, I hope, um, I hope that's, I certainly hope that's not true. But. Yeah, of course. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. But yeah, because like, like, my kids, I sometimes look at them and I think, you spoil little shits. And then I think, but it's not your fault. 
because I have seven cars and we live in a really nice house and they have everything that they want and so does their mum. And I sometimes think they need to go to some boot camp. Are you guys together? Yeah. Okay, so... Yeah. They need to go to some sweaty so it's, it's, boot camp and get told what, and see what the world is really like. No, I mean, I, no, I, don't, I, don't, I don't necessarily think that will do it. My dad um, sent me to a rugby boot camp and I fucking hated every minute of it. And yeah. I, came, I went a boy and I came back a man. It was one of those. You like, were sodomized? <laughs> <laughs> Cancelled again, yeah. <laughs> but like, and it, made, it forced me independence. I mean, I used to wet the bed and all sorts. It was yeah. horrific. And I had to go there. And his dad said to me, just imagine not wetting the bed. Imagine not wetting the bed. And I went to this camp full of all these older boys playing rugby. And I, every night, imagine not wetting the bed. And I didn't wet the bed. And I felt so proud of myself. And I'm playing rugby at six in the morning in the ice cold, the fattest kid there. And I hated it. But when I came home, I was like, oh. Like how the tapes must have felt when they got released from prison. Honestly, it was so character building. I think, I do think some hardship and struggle, you know, really make, forces you to grow. Yeah, I guess the question is, do we intentionally place people in those when, when the whole life is like that? There's just, it's, I guess it's not just hardship. It's, do you have the tools to deal with that? And how do you reflect on it afterward? Because we all suffer from loss. People we love die. Mm. We all suffer from health issues or almost all of us. As you get older, it becomes more likely. And so how do we teach people to have that self-reliance um, and the resilience? And I think embedded in that is it, it's not just the hardship of life. Like my mentor was interned in Buchenwald and he was constantly laughing and joking around. And I asked him like, how is it that you got out of this? And you know, some some people, he's like, I don't know. I can't do a German accent. <laughs> I don't. Ah, I don't know. He uh, say, you know, some some people, have, you know, go through that experience and they're just miserable their whole lives, and they take it out. They just discharge that cruelty on everybody in their mm. in their in their world. And so I think that, I mean, how do you? Well, a mentor of mine, he says that the universe will not throw you a challenge you can't handle. And sometimes I think about that, and I think, but what about other people that commit suicide? Yeah, so you know, you know, it's the difference between us. Like a difference is you're how old again? Forty-four. Yeah, so you're forty-four. I'm almost fifty-seven. There's something really profound about all my mentors are dead now, right? And my my grandparents are long dead. My parents are dead. So I'm kind of like alone in the world in a sense, you know. So like I don't have anybody I can go to who who who's a mentor to me. I mean, I have friends, I have people I love and people I, I hope love me, but there's something about that decade between the mid 40s and the mid 50s when there's a deep sense of, of loss there. Mm. At least there was for me. Yeah, I mean, I look at all these young kids on TikTok who are 21 and 23 emailing me to come on the podcast to teach men about being men. And look, I think we can all learn from everyone, but fuck me, yeah, you're no. 21. And you've stuck some steroids in yourself when you want to come on my show and, and talk, tell, teach everyone how to be a man. I'm like, because yeah. all my mentors are 60 plus and have lived life yeah. and had challenge. And someone maybe you should seek out. To me, he's the, the greatest living genius. And that is Dr. John Demartini. I don't know if you've ever heard of him. I know the name. That's Yeah, right. he's actually on the show next. Um, and he is so wise. And um, yeah, he, he's taught me a lot about life because it, naturally as humans, we tend to want to um, split the world into these separate parts, i.e. I feel good or I feel bad or that is right or that is wrong. 
and he always brings me back to no 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 everything has good and bad everything is right and wrong everyone can be good and evil everyone that you accuse of being evil or doing something unkind you've done that to someone at some point in your life you can be everything you, you know you have all the parts that other people have that you own or disown and, and that that really helps me because I see things that happen all the time and I'm like ah oh, that's that's annoying that was shit and it nearly always ends up being a gift like if anyone um, doesn't turn up on our show anymore we just say okay that wasn't meant to be and it ends up being right that they shouldn't be on the show yeah sometimes I think we think we're fucking so smart and we're thick and compared to nature and what nature knows if you think about our bodies, my coach keeps saying, listen yeah. to your body. And I didn't know what listening to your body meant. I just thought, well, Andrew Tate and Joe Rogan say, work, 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 work. David Goggins, rah! And then there's people saying, listen to your body. And like, it gives you feedback. Yeah, Even yeah. John would say, depending on where an injury is on your body, that is emotional feedback. Right. The body telling you something is out of balance. Right. And I said, fuck, yeah. And nature knows so much and we know so little. Yeah, that's the other reason why we should be humble. Yeah, because we're so small. Like, and, and, and our minds, like the brain is an engine of belief. And it's just, we, we, that's when, you know, when we do these videos, we go around the world and we ask people if the beliefs they have, the evidence they have for the beliefs are justified in the confidence and how do we calibrate the strength of the belief with the evidence that one has for a belief. But, more often than not, I've, I've found that um, people will become far more confident in a belief than they should be based upon what they know. And it, doesn't, it almost doesn't matter what the belief is. And like I was thinking about what you said about those young kids. By the way, have you seen pictures of Gordon Ryan recently? You know, the, no. Gordon Ryan is like, he's the GOAT. He's the greatest grappler of all time. Right. Dude, yeah. is like, he's on another level. Like another, Even Gracie level. Like, no, way beyond. Oh, like, really? he is a, yeah. He's the GOAT. He's right. the greatest of all time. And he was sticking some serious drugs into himself, like right. steroids, grow. I mean, yeah. only God, you know, I don't even know, like, and he, I mean, pictures of him, I mean, he was just massive. And um, now he just, he's become ill. I don't know that the steroids have something to do with it, but sticking steroids, f filling yourself up with something that's false like that, you, you, that may make you feel good, but that doesn't make you a man. In fact, quite the contrary, it makes you a cheater. Mm. Right, and so then, then a lot of those uh, people do that because they want to go into a combat sport, or they want to go into to try to break a, a, a weightlifting, and the, the justification is well, everybody's doing it. Mm. Okay, but that doesn't make you a man. So let's no. be honest about, like, honest about things. Yeah, and I see, I see kids, particularly in jujitsu, uh, I, I see people go into jujitsu and they just want to take drugs to be better. Yeah, at sixteen. Yeah. Uh, that when I was a kid, they weren't starting at that age, right. and it was more of a rare thing. I think as I've got older, I've just accepted who I am a bit more. Good, good. No artificial, nothing. I'm very against facial cosmetic surgery. Me too. And I even go to the girls in my office and I say, "You're 21. You're very pretty. There's nothing wrong with you. You don't need your fish lips. You don't need your fucking tattooed eyebrows. You don't need it." And I don't mind being a bit harsh with them. Because that is a gateway drug, and what are they going to look like in 10 years? And how much yeah. is it going to cost them? So I don't, I, I personally don't do anything, as you can tell. I, <laughs> I wake up oh, and natural. I go. <laughs> yeah. um, I don't really mind so much what, what other people do, but I do think that there's a way to go through life that's more honest and more authentic. And, you know, when, when 
God, I don't know, for some reason that really struck me when you said that there are people who are, you know, in their early 20s yeah. who want to come on the show and tell you what it's like to be a man. I mean, yeah. that's a kind of arrogance. Yeah, in, in well, a, that's it. Of, like, a lot of them are, are sort of fans of Andrew Tate, and so they're getting, the, well, I know nearly all of them are, and they're getting this newfound confidence that yeah. they haven't had, which is great, but then it becomes somewhat delusion or yeah, arrogance, yeah. and I think there's a fine line. I'll, I'll, I have to go, I'm going to get a tour of Parliament, but I'm going to take a stab at what it is to be a man. I'm going to take, try a stab at this that. This is a good one. Let's do this. To be a man is to be compassionate. It's to treat people with dignity. It's to admit that you are wrong when you're wrong. Um, it's to not be afraid to cry in front of other people if, um, if something wounds you like you know I'm thinking about my my uh, my, my parents funeral uh, or the death of a very close friend of mine uh, to be a man is to treat somebody um, honestly and fairly um, I think to, to be a man is to be responsible for who you are and to be honest about what you can control in your life and I think that um, to be a man is to basically walk through reality and treat people in a way that accords them with basic decency and always remember in the back of your mind that, that, that there are certain types of lives that are better to lead than others. It's better to be kind than cruel. It's better to be compassionate than not compassionate. And it's better to just not be a dick, right? So that's my, mm. my stab. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I think we need more men like that in the world. For sure. I think, I mean, I think about my son and him growing up. I mean, it was, yeah. co it was confusing when I was a kid, what is a man? But now with all the totally. gender ideologies and like, must be right. so confusing. Right. And, and, you know, very quickly, one of the things that's happening that I find is a horror show and I'm certainly not the first people, person to talk about this. Um, um, Andrew Sullivan has talked about this. Andrew Doyle has talked about this. A lot of gay men have talked about this. We're telling gay kids right now that they're not really gay. We're telling them that they're trapped in the wrong bodies and they need to undergo some radical transformative sur surgeries, some, you know, blueprints, some... some and I, and I think, you know, if this is your parent out there listening to this, it's, if your kid is gay, that's fine. Yeah. There's no problem. Like, don't, don't worry about it. This is not, you know, the, what we did to this Alan, Alan Turing. This right? is not this news. Is, this, is yeah. not, this is not a game stopper. I have two children, a, a boy and, and a girl, uh, and they're both gay. And this is, maybe it's Portland, I don't think so. But, <laughs> but um, who cares? But, but there's a, yeah, who cares? Nobody should care. Mm. But there, there is... A line I think that we have crossed in which we've really let these ideologies take over and so if your kid is gay just let them let them be gay you don't don't the, the default to a feminine son isn't well we have to mutilate his genitals no or they get to choose at eight what sex they are. That's insane. You yeah. can't you can't no, get you a tattoo. You don't know who you are. You can't get a tattoo. You you, well, yeah. you can't buy a gun in this country. But you can't. There's a lot of things you can't do when you're eight or ten. But um, I've loved this interview. But I do have to go. I'm sorry. That's right. Can we squeeze in a super quick fire? Sure. Literally, we can do five minutes. I'll ask sure. you like five or six questions. 
Um, Let me oh, just oh, look at one yeah, thing. Yeah, sure. Just, yes, all right. No rush. If you really have to go, it's fine. Okay, let's do this as quick as possible. So I've got a theory about the rise of wokeism. Yeah. Um, you know the, the saying, um, hard times create strong men. Correct. Strong men create good times. Good times create weak men. And right now it's been so good for so long relatively through history. There's all these bored people have got nothing better to do. They should be busy doing something meaningful. This is the rise of wokeism. What do you think? Fertile soil for wokeism. It is fertile soil for wokeism. I don't know. I, I will make two predictions. The first prediction is that we will get out of this. We're gonna, this ideology is too idiotic. It's too stupid. Um, most people think it's deranged because it is deranged. So I think it's going to end very soon. When? That I don't know. But I think it will be over within five years. Uh, the other prediction that I'll make is that the damage that this will do to our institutions will be almost irreparable. The, nobody trusts the institute. Nobody trusts the NIH. Nobody trusts anything anymore. Yeah. No, and, and nobody trusts it because it's not worthy of our trust. So we need to make institutions that are worthy of our trust. Mm. But that syllogism I buy. Mm. So you said before we went on the on air that you'd almost like to talk to people who like Andrew Tate to also like Jordan Peterson. I thought I'd give you a moment to talk about that. Uh, yeah, I I, uh, I would like to tell. I would like to to talk to people who like Andrew Tate and tell them that he can get far more um, a benefit for their lives personally if they started listening to Peterson as opposed to Tate. If they started, like if you, you know, one of Peterson's main messages is if you want more meaning in your life, then you have to take more responsibility in your life, specifically as it extends toward, toward other people. And I think that there's a way, I think that one of the problems that I see is that the way young men treat women, right? Um, I, I, look, and I was a young man, you know, you were a young man, you know that our brains were hormone <laughs> driven. Well, yeah, uh, <laughs> if, if they had camera phones back then, we'd both be cancelled. Right, yeah. right. So, so you know, um, <laughs> but, but, but I do think that if people, you know, particularly if you're, young, if you're a young person, Peterson has a lot of wisdom that he can specifically amount around meaning and responsibility. And I, without going into too much of the details, I'm, I don't think any kind of misogyny is good. And I see Tate promoting that. And I see Tate being explicit about that. And I think we need to start treating our young women and our young girls with respect. Like that should be a base civilizational value. And I don't think that the solution to this is that we all adopt Islam or something crazy, like we veil people or something extreme. Um, I think that the solution is right in front of us. Mm. So you've been on Joe Rogan a couple of times. How did yeah. that come about? Uh, first time was about uh, my work um, around uh, religion and faith. And the second time was this thing I did. I submitted fake papers with James Lindsay and Helen Pluckrose and grievance study stuff. Mm. And how, how was your experience being on Joe's show? He's a great guy. I yeah. got along with him. He's just a very authentic person. When you, you put your hands on him for a picture at the end, his back is like rock. I mean, he's like, he's like, uh, he's like, you know, he's like iron. Yeah. Yeah. He's good. He's funny. He's the same off camera when you hang out with him as he is on camera. Mm. Yeah. I think he's done great things for podcasts. Absolutely. No question yeah. about it. People would be far better off listening to him. I remember when that. they tried to cancel him and I just thought that's ridiculous. 
Come on, yeah, no, no, come no. on, nonsense. Yeah, he has the la largest audience in the world. He's larger than, especially now that Carlson, uh, Tucker Carlson left Fox, larger than CNN. So of course it's tall poppy syndrome, it's envy. Yeah. They want to cut him down. Mm. But that's what happens when someone speaks openly and honestly about things. Yeah. Right? Everybody comes for him. Yeah. That's because we're not used to hearing people speak openly and honestly. We're used to people being, behold, like the whole lose weight if you're fat at the beginning of COVID. You don't even have to be COVID. No. Just lose weight. Mm. Get in shape. Don't smoke. Chill out on the sugar. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Sleep. <laughs> I think that's why people like David Goggins as well, because he just says that straight how it is. You know, if you're fat, admit it. Because then you can start to change. Yeah. yeah, and you'll feel better about yourself. Yeah. If you could have either one million engaged extra followers on social media or one million cash, which would you take and why? I'm looking at that from an investment question. With the one million engaged social followers, boy, I'd really have to think about that. Uh, and I also was thinking about inflation in the back of my mind, <laughs> yeah. too. So one million ain't what it used to be, baby. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, okay. Well, my my dream for retirement is to is to build a home for dogs, like used and abandoned, like you know, not used, but like you know, like um, um, abused and abandoned dogs. And so I I think I'd take the million and I'd start building that now. So I would like to take in, I'd like to save as many dogs as possible. So I I'd, I'd take take dogs nobody wants, uh, old dogs, etc. Uh, I'd like to take I'd take the million and I'd start building that now. That reminds me of Mark Twain's quote, the more I get to know people, the more I like my dog. Yeah. What do you think about that? <laughs> uh, well, I love people, I yeah. love hanging out with people, but I'm a, just a huge dog lover. Mm. Like I just, just a huge dog lover. Mm. What's your biggest mistake you perceive you've made in your life? Chronic or acute? Like one time or over, over the course? Um, your answer. Boy, there's so many, I don't even know where to, how to catalog the beginning of them. Um, I think it's that I didn't really listen. And if I could go back in time, I'd teach myself how to listen and why listening to what someone says is just so utterly crucial, not just for your relationship, but for yourself. What would you say is your biggest regret? I don't think I have any regrets. I'm sure we've all got one. You know, a lot of people say, oh, well, I don't regret anything because you know you learn from it and it's made me who I am true but there's I guess, always something in the closet well I don't know if it's a regret but I, I guess I, I, I would have liked to have spent more time with my parents you know like someone said if you could have dinner with anybody from history who would it be I was like the first thing is like my grandparents and my parents like there's just no question about it yeah yeah mm. have you, what's your most brutal life lesson woke you up um these are hard questions um my most brutal life lesson. And then I have to go because I have to get, grab my passport and I'm already late. Sure. Uh, um, I don't know why this is making me think of my parents. Um, in my, in my, mom's, my mom's funeral, um, I was a mess. I was a mess. I was a complete catastrophe. Guy had a this box of tissues and I went through the entire box of tissues on his desk. We were talking about setting this, um, setting up her funeral, and uh, I said, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. He's like, oh, no, no. I'm, I said, I'm not handling this. Was oh, you know, you're, you're doing great. You know, you haven't punched anybody. We have people put holes in the wall. Like that made me feel 
significantly better when he said that. But uh, <clears throat> my, <clears throat> but in my mom's, <clears throat> my mom's funeral, um, um, somebody fell asleep in her funeral, and uh, my first thought was, I can't wait to tell my mom this. She'd think that's hilarious, and then. I realized like I would never tell my mom that. Like I would never tell her anything for the rest of my life. And it was like a huge wake up moment. Like the finality of death. You know, and like you have to be, when you're like with somebody, you just have to be so present with them. And so that, that's how I answer the question. Mm. Yeah. This show is called Disruptive. What does that word mean to you? I think it's a, Positive can be a positive thing or a negative thing if you're a disruptor. I think as a general idea, it's probably good to disrupt orthodoxies. It's good to disrupt things that are morally fashionable. It's good to disrupt patterns that we have in our lives. Like martial arts, you know, people for years thought something worked and the UFC came and then that disrupted that. So I think it's a way to break out of dogma and ideology. That's how I think about it. Um, where can we follow you? What are you working on at the moment? That um, I'm on Twitter at Peter Bogosian. I am just started a YouTube channel a year ago. <clears throat> we just passed 10 million views and wow, 145,000 followers, or something. I don't know, but it's pretty good. We travel all around the world and we make videos. We teach people how to have impossible conversations with each other. Um, I'm working on so much stuff. I don't even know where to begin, but you can find it on YouTube and Twitter. Sorry, we've made you a little bit late but no thank you appreciate been a pleasure might thank not you. get to see you for a while so yeah I'll, I'll be back to the island at some time. point but yeah. i appreciate it man thank you yeah thank you thanks a lot